This is the Faith Debate on News Radio 930 WFMD. Thanks so much for tuning in as part of your Sunday routine. So much appreciated. You can find us online. The easiest way is just go to householdoffaithinchrist.com, and there you can connect with the Faith Debate Show. You can connect with podcasts. You can connect with blogs. Connect with uh, every all my social media, everything that's involved with this show and my life. I'm an open book. If you want to try to find me on social media, I guess you can. I don't use any clever handles or anything like that. If I, you know, if you try to find me on Parler or MeWe or Facebook or Gab or LinkedIn or whatever other stuff's out there, just look for Troy Skinner. You'll find me. I don't use any fancy names. I don't hide behind aliases. I want people to know what I believe and why. And I'm willing to stand behind it and take the bullets if they should come. God forbid. So. Um, we've spent the last, we're now like a month into this, the, the, the new edition of the, the new improved edition. Like kind of, remember like when we were kids, every Tide commercial was new and improved. Like Tide was always new and improved. That's like the faith debate now. Every episode is the new and improved faith debate. So let's keep that in mind. Uh, next week's show will be even better than this week's show. Well, that's actually a guarantee because you're about to hear an awful lot about me, sadly, this week. A few weeks ago, we heard from Imran Raz Razvi. He is the pastor of a house church and the founder of Conquered by Love Ministries. They have a website, conqueredbyloveministries.org. And, uh, right? Con- conqueredbylove.org. Conqueredbylove.org. Don't, you don't need the ministries part in the website. Conqueredbylove.org. And uh, see what they're all about. Lots of great resources for raising your family and, and dealing with difficult situations and, and that sort of thing. So uh, we also heard, so we heard uh, Imran share his story, which is pretty dramatic. So if you missed that, go find the podcast from a few weeks ago and listen to that uh, after raise, being raised uh, in, in Islam, uh, converted to Christianity. Then the week after that, we heard from his son, Daniel Razvi, uh, and we heard about, you know, his, uh, I think the most interesting and uh, compelling part of that testimony was the last half when we talked about the courtship and the marriage and the wedding and drawing the connection between uh, his wedding ceremony, which is a traditional Pakistani Middle Eastern wedding and how it connects to a biblical wedding. I thought that was particularly helpful and interesting. Uh, So you might want to check that out on podcast as well. And then last week we uh, heard the the story, the backstory and the testimony of um, David Forsey. He's the pastor of the house that meets at David's house and um, heard about his family and his uh, walk into the ministry and uh, where his heart on things are now. And I don't think we nailed this one to the ground. So if you've got the answer of what a production arborist is and how production arborists are different than other arborists, you can email me, Pastor Skinner at ProtonMail.com, because I am curious, because David is a production arborist. As opposed to a consumption arborist, apparently. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I'm not sure. But anyway. So now it's my turn to share a story. Now, if you go back four weeks, I guess, uh, the first Sunday in September, I was kind of sharing the story of the show and how we've evolved over time and why we're doing what we're doing now. So if you're curious why we're going to have the same panel week after week after week, go back to the first Sunday in September, listen to that show, and get an understanding of why we're doing what we're doing now. So I'm Troy Skinner. Who am I? Well, I think I should start with the highlights. So after I climbed Everest, uh, <laughs> I don't have real fancy, exciting stuff in my story, but I have some pretty dramatic stuff uh, in my story. So I don't want to get bogged down in the details of the drama, so I'll just kind of skate across the top. And those who have shared similar dramas in their life will probably be able to make a connection and say, oh, I think I know what he's talking about there. So... 
When I was born, um, my mom was uh, just newly married, and uh, her husband decided he didn't really want to have a new wife, a new baby, and so he disappeared from the scene. And so I have no physical memory of ever seeing my father. So my mom, when that happened, moved back to where she grew up, and so that's where I grew up. I grew up in the Chicago, Illinois area, the the west and uh, northwest suburbs of Chicago. Uh, so I grew up a lifelong Chicago sports fan. Uh, my first sport rooting interest was the Chicago Cubs. So 2016 was a good year for me when the Cubs finally won a World Series. Um, but to be honest, as big a Cub fan as I was and uh, 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 was throughout my life and still was up until a few years ago when I've become less enamored with professional sports, I don't count myself a big fan of anything. Anymore. I still kind of pay attention, but I'm not, I don't watch the games and stuff anymore. I'm just more important things to do. But I would say if I had to pick a Chicago sports team that, that I'm still most connected with uh, psychologically or emotionally or whatever would be the Chicago Bears. So 1985 was a good year for me that in that uh, season of life. And, you know, Michael Jordan and the Bulls and all that sort of stuff. So that was a big part of my life. It dominated my life for a long time. So when I uh, was going to school, when I was in high school, I'll get, they'll do the church ministry uh, kind of stuff after so let me get the more secular stuff done first. So when I was in high school, I thought I was going to be a doctor. So I was uh, training myself in that direction. I was taking all the, because I, I don't know if all high schools do it the same, but my high school, we had some options in choosing different kinds of classes and tracks that we would get on. So I was on a science and math track in high school with the idea of going to medical school. Uh, pretty Either right before or shortly after graduating from high school, I decided to shift gears and go in an engineering direction instead. So when I entered uh, college, I entered as an engineering major. And uh, if I knew now what I knew then, I might have stuck with it. But my first experience with the engineering classes, I wasn't enjoying them. And I'm like, if this is what engineers do, I don't think I want to do this. So my second year, I continued to go to college, but I didn't have a declared major. I was just trying to figure it out. I found out since then by talking to engineers, like, yeah, I hated my first year of engineering classes too, but fortunately we don't have to do any of that stuff. I was like, oh, I guess I should have stuck it out. I needed you in my life back then maybe. Of course, if I did that, I wouldn't be doing this, what you're hearing right now. And you're thinking, why didn't you stay with engineering? I know, I get it. So I'm having this kind of this, you know, quarter-life crisis instead of a midlife crisis. Like, what am I going to do with my life? And my best friend at the time, and to be honest, uh, I would still count him as one of my dearest, dearest friends even to this day. Uh, he said, you're a huge sports fan. Like, you know, I mean, nobody knows more about the Cubs and the Bears and the Bulls and even the Blackhawks and DePaul Blue Demon basketball and even just the broader teams outside of Chicago. Like, you're so into it. Like, you should do that. I say, like, what do you mean do that? Yeah, you should be like, and one of the more popular uh, sportscasters on TV in Chicago at the time was a guy named Mark Greco. And he said, oh, you could do like what Mark Greco does. And I said, yeah, like those jobs grow on trees. He said, well, Mark G. and Greco got the job. Like, why couldn't you someday get that job? Like, somebody's got to do those jobs. Why couldn't it be you? And the simple, profound, like, wisdom of that is like, yeah, why not me? <laughs> <laughs> so I totally shift gears, and I put all my energy my last two years in college uh, in a broadcasting track, and I learned way too much about television and radio. If I had to do it over again, I probably would have uh, still pursued that professional track maybe but i would have taken more classes that had to do with history and philosophy and things like that uh because a lot of the things that i learned in tv and, and radio 
uh, either aren't important anymore because the industry has changed so much <laughs> or they're the kinds of things you can learn on the job. And so I didn't need to waste my time in school doing that. So, but anyway, so I got into the radio business. My first uh, paid job, I had some, uh, well, in broadcasting, I had some uh, related to the skill set that I, uh, like production houses and that sort of thing. I did some things like that. But my first paid job in the broadcast industry was as a disc jockey on a, and I'm going to emphasize this, country and western radio station. It wasn't just country. It wasn't what you think of as country music. It was country and western. Okay. <laughs> it was, you know, swing music, Texas swing music, and, you know, stuff that went way back, you know, from like Hank Snow, and I don't know these names mean anything to you, Lefty Frizzell, you know, uh, people from like even the 50s, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s uh, kind of country music. Lots of twang, lots of steel guitar. Um, so that was my first paying job in the business. And then I, uh, but that wasn't what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be a disc jockey. I wanted to be a sports guy. So I persuaded them to let me do a sports cast uh, uh, on the station in addition to my paid duties. And so I was able to do that and build a resume tape, that sort of thing. And I was able to send a tape to another radio station in the market. And uh, <laughs> I wasn't very good, but I was persistent. And I kid you not, every time that radio station had an opening, I applied. And I forget exactly how many times it was, but the hiring manager, I'm sitting across his desk for the third time, the sixth time, I don't know, it was a number of times. And he said, I'm going to, and he's not sure what to say to me. And so he said, <laughs> so this is, this is life advice for you listening. You got young kids, you want to tell them how to get a job? Be persistent. Show them you want the job. And if you, if you hang in there long enough, you got a good shot at possibly getting the job. Because he said, you know, I'm going to put the niceties aside. I didn't even listen to your last tape because your other tapes were so bad. I mean, you have no <laughs> talent. You're horrible. They're among the worst resume tapes I've ever heard. But you know what? Every single time we have a job opening, you apply. And you come in here and you try your best to persuade me to hire you. And I tell you no. And you go away with your tail between your legs, but then you come back three months later asking for a job. You know, somebody that's willing to try that hard, that wants a job here that badly, I'm going to hire you and see what you got. And so fortunately, uh, not only did I get the job, but he, as it turns out, uh, is one of the best programming minds in the industry. He was early in his programming management career at the time, but he went on to wonderful, great things. People in the industry know who he is. He's a, he's a name um, with huge responsibilities on a national platform. And he's a, he's a big shot. And so this is a guy, he wasn't a big shot then, but this is a guy that taught me so many things about the radio business and the programming side of things. And so that got me jump started. So that led to me, I was a news reporter and a sports reporter. And um, um, I had an opportunity to get a full – this was part-time I was hired – an opportunity to get a full-time job by uh, becoming a producer for somebody else's show. So I'm not going to turn down a full-time job. took the full-time job, and I really wasn't on the air. I was doing a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, a lot of production, a lot of uh, bookings of guests. Uh, I've talked to some really famous people on the phone, <laughs> like really, really, <laughs> really famous people on the phone. Um, and so that was fun. But it was, again, it wasn't what my dream and idea ideal was. I wanted to be doing sports. Well, things shifted around at the radio station and I had a chance to um, uh, to additionally produce a daily sports show. 
And that, you know, long story short, that parlayed into me becoming a sidekick on that show. That parlayed into me hosting my own call-in radio sports show. Uh, there was a time when I was hosting a four-hour, you know, daily sports show. Uh, and uh, it wasn't necessarily the best idea for me or the show or what we were trying to do as a company. But, you know, I'll throw it out there. I felt like I kind of made it. I wasn't making any money, (laughs) but I felt like I made it because I was on a network of stations. My show was heard on 22 stations. And I'm like, it's not going to get a whole lot bigger than this. And I'm still making like no money. I got to make some money. So I got to get like on the managerial track or something. You know, I got to make some money. So I had a chance to get into management by moving. I was in Orlando at the time, by the way. Moved from Orlando to uh, Syracuse where I had a chance to get into management. That's where I programmed a couple of stations there, a sports talk station and a news talk station. And uh, by the time I left, um, I was also the, uh, the director of news. and pro- uh, So I was the director of news and programming. And back then they had real news departments. Today, you know, most radio stations don't have anybody doing news. They don't even give it the news. And if they do, it's a news reader. So somebody that does something else happens to read the news. They pull off the AP or something. And stations like WFMD that actually have a news staff, it's minimal. You know, two or three people, that's all you got. Well, the station I was managing, Syracuse, we had 15 people on the news department plus 15 producers. I mean, it was a big operation. That doesn't exist anymore. We can talk about that maybe sometime about how to curate our information and who to trust and where that information can come from. Um, but then I still I want to, I've realized the ones that really get to have fun are the general managers because they get to tell the program directors what to do. <laughs> <laughs> so how do I get that job? And the way 98% of general managers have a sales background. So I decided to make a big shift in my career, moved to Frederick, got into sales, which I did for 20 years uh, here. And then because of my connection to the station in sales, they allowed me to do this radio show, which is still, you know, it's a hobby. I don't get paid for doing it, but it's a passion. And it allows me to talk about the preeminent passion in my life, which I'll now transition into. So the first church I can remember belonging to was, I think it was an Episcopal church. The, the, uh, my grandparents' backyard abutted the church property. And so on Sunday mornings, my grandparents would send me through the backyard to that church. And they didn't go. They didn't even know anybody there. I don't think they'd ever met the pastor. I was like, I don't know, four years old, five years old, and they're sending me to church by myself. (laughs) And fortunately, you know, there'd be some family there. Like, you know, to me, I felt like they were 90, but it was probably like a 30 or 40 or 50-year-old adult. It's like, you're here alone? Like, And so they would take me under their wing, and they'd bring me to the— you know, the kids' Sunday school class, and they'd sit with me during the worship service, and I didn't know what was going on. But And then when it was over, I would just go home. And they would just let me go home. Like, they weren't worried about where I was going. It was really weird. That's my first church experience. Um, anyway, my mom finally, um, she remarried. That was horrible. Uh, he used to beat her mercilessly, so that didn't last very long. Um, and then as a means of protecting me from the violence, uh, she sent me to a boarding school. So I went to boarding school for three years. And then she uh, eventually remarried uh, yet again. Well, anyway, in the midst of all of this, she's realizing that something's amiss in her life. And she wants her son to grow up with some sense of but they didn't call it spirituality back then, you know, but that's what they would call it now. I want my son to have some spirituality. She's like, he needs to know what the church is about and have that aspect, have religion in his life kind of thing. So we went looking for a church. You know, she went looking for a church. I was her sidekick. And this was after Vatican II. And so um, the 
Roman Catholic churches were beginning to become quite a bit more experimental, and the hippie movement was gaining some ground inside of certain Roman Catholic uh, congregations. And so she found a church that was kind of hippified, and they were playing acoustic guitar and singing uh, folk kind of worship songs. And she's she was kind of hippified herself at the time, and she's like, "Hey, I'm a hippie. They're a hippie. I'm going to hang out here." So, for a number of years, I was uh, you know Roman Catholic. Uh, but then she uh, married her third husband. They're not still married uh, anymore. But he's uh, constantly, even to this day, as far as I know, he's a person that kind of bounces between uh, between uh, uh, religious and spiritual traditions, trying to find the truth. Um, last I heard, he was dabbling with Buddhism, but I'm not sure if that's where he is now. I don't really keep in touch with him. Uh, I have no reason to. So... Uh, but there was a time when I was in high school when one of the places that he landed, and that therefore we as a family landed, was the Worldwide Church of God led by Herbert W. Armstrong. I don't know if that name rings any bells in this room or to you listening to the show. Herbert W. Armstrong's now long dead. Uh, but uh, he was leading a Christian cult. It, it was this, he founded it, I don't know, back in the 20s or 30s or something. He, he was an old guy. When I was going to that church, he was like, 150. I mean, he was an old guy. And he used to do this radio and TV ministry, and he had these big, heavy jowls, and he would talk like this. And he, had, and he would talk about a lot of end times prophecy and all that sort of stuff. And then he would, he would take a Bible, and he would smack his hand on it, and he'd go, and he'd smack it and go, boom, you got to blow the dust off your Bibles. <laughs> wow. That kind of guy. But his theology was kind of a mix, uh, a cocktail, if you will, a dangerous cocktail of Jehovah's Witness thinking and uh, Mormon thinking and um, uh, Seventh-day Adventist thinking and uh, a, a heavy dose of, uh, of various strains of dispensationalism and stuff. So some of what they taught was biblical and true. There was some good stuff, but mixed with a ton of bad stuff. And so... Um, I was thoroughly confused. I, and uh, we also visited some other churches as I was a kid, different uh, when my mom wasn't going to a Roman Catholic church. So now I'm confused, and I'm not trusting anything that's religious or claiming to be the church because I've, you know, come to find out that Herbert W. Armstrong's a fraud. And I'm like, well, maybe they're all frauds. You know, so I get married to my wife, and we start bouncing to different churches, and I'm not trusting any of them. So we couldn't find a church because I, I, we're looking for a church, but not really because I'm not giving any of them a chance. You know, I'm, I'm going there looking for flaws. And if I could find any reason to not like the church, I'm out of here. And so we were vagabond gypsies, you know, looking for churches for a long time, exhausting time. It got so bad, and me being the anal retentive type that I am, I'm bringing my notebook, and I'm taking notes about the church and <laughs> so I could justify my case of why we're not going to go to this church. Anyway, all that odyssey finally began to settle in when we ended up, uh, there was a short period of time between uh, Syracuse and Frederick when we were in uh, New Jersey, which is where my wife is from. And uh, an old drama uh, coach or teacher of hers uh, got reintroduced into our lives, and she was so excited to run into my wife, Dina, again. And she said, oh, my gosh, I have been praying for you. I have been praying for you for years I was like, wow, we kind of almost forgot you existed maybe. I don't know. Uh, well, not that, that's pretty dramatic. But it wasn't, she wasn't part of my wife's life at all for years. But she continued to pray. I was praying for your salvation, praying that you would find, you know, you'd get connected in the church. 
So anyway, we started going to her church. It was a Dutch Reformed church. And uh, we settled in there for enough time. It was a handful of months, but enough time for my wife to have a conversion experience. And so she left Roman Catholicism behind and uh, became a uh, Protestant Christian. Uh, I always considered myself a Protestant Christian, but I didn't know where to label it, where to assign it, uh, that sort of a thing. Um, and so I don't. Well, you didn't really know what you were protesting. You were protesting everybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was a Protestant in the truest sense of the word. Yeah. So uh, we end up in Frederick, and we landed at at, uh, at at a Reformed Presbyterian church in town. And the then pastor, he's still one of my mentors, uh, one of the most influential people in my life, and he was patient uh, and kind and gentle. Uh, but direct. And we had marathon sessions where I would ask him a zillion questions and I would be asking him questions. I don't know that I meant them as gotcha questions, but I could see how somebody could receive them as gotcha questions. And he handled them well, you know, and, and, and was pointing me to the scriptures and settled me into, okay, I feel like I can actually trust you and maybe I can trust your tradition. Um, and so he helped me plug into a uh, seminary, went to Reform Theological Seminary, which I feel like I dodged a bullet because when I started there, I feel like they were okay. But from what I'm hearing now, they're not so okay anymore. They've begun to go woke, which has me very concerned. Where have I heard this before? Yeah, it's a real problem, uh, real, real problem. But I feel like I navigated, I got out of there just in time, if you will. Um, and because of my background, I kind of, like to call myself a denominational mutt and my various experiences and something I didn't share with my mom moved so much when she, you know, trying to raise, uh, you know, her son by herself and stuff. I went to 12 different schools. Uh, we moved a lot. Uh, and so having all of these various kinds of bouncing around experiences and bouncing around in church experiences, I have a rather eclectic way of processing information and viewing the world. And so it's been hard for me to fit in a denominational structure where they have a tendency to clench not only the essentials of the faith, but really important non-essentials for their tradition really hard in their fists. And I'm, yeah, I'm willing to hold on to those things, but not as hard as you need me to. And so I've had a hard time. But in spite of that, I've been able to be the pastor of, uh, of a few churches now, uh, one in Hagerstown, one in Frederick, and then COVID. Uh, uh, one of them was like a church plant, and COVID did the church plant in. And I, for 10 years, have been thinking about doing a house church, and I finally decided, you know what? If I'm, if I'm not going to do it now, I'm never going to do it. So let's do it. And so that's when the house church thing happened. Theologically, I would say um, I'm essentially Reformed, um, but I'm not hardcore on all the tenets of Calvinism like a lot of Calvinists are. So if I'm in a room full of Calvinists, they, over time, will think, I thought you were a Calvinist. Are you Arminian? But if I'm in a room full of Arminians, they will very quickly say, oh, you're a Calvinist, aren't you? So I definitely have a lean in the Calvinist direction, but I'm not going to put up my dukes and fight over those things. There's, there's uh, the kinds of things that Christians should be agreeing over, all Christians should be agreeing over in the Bible. Those are the things I'll put up my, my, my fists and fight over. The rest of it, yeah, I, I've got strong persuasions in one direction than another, but, um, and I think that lends itself, has lent itself to uh, a good experience on this show because I understand a lot of the various perspectives, but I'm willing to be reasonable and open-minded about it. And so that's kind of my story where I'm coming from. The question 
that I might have enough, just barely enough time to say is, when was I saved? <clears throat> I would say that I was saved before the foundations of the earth. <laughs> That's a Calvinist answer. I, I would also say I was saved at the cross. I would also say there's a sense in which I'm still being saved. Uh, I would say that I am saved right now in a particular sense. And I, am sa- I would say that I will one day be fully saved at glorification upon Christ's second coming after the judgment. Amen. So I would say that that's my understanding of salvation. I, like David Forsey, do not have a dramatic conversion story or anything like that to share. We'll say this. I know I'm a believer now. I know I was a believer yesterday. I know I was a believer the day before that. And I know I was a believer for as many days back as I have my mind can take me. I can't remember when I wasn't. So it's hard for me to point to a conversion experience. Even though I had this weird eclectic childhood thing, my mom wasn't going to church, but she was reading me Bible stories and spending time praying with me. She was doing her best. And so I just, my earliest childhood memories are her reading, you know, stories to me from the Bible and things. And so I just, that's just been the air I've breathed and the water I've drank. And that's, so that's my story. And Good thing I'm done because we're now done. This is the Faith Debate. Thanks so much for listening. Find us online. Find me online, the show online at householdoffaithinchrist.com. Till next week, God bless. Thanks for listening.